Greetings. If you are looking for the Getting Ready for Sunday session from Corpus Christi Catholic Church in Tucson, Arizona, you have succeeded. I'm Deacon Mark from Corpus Christi. We're looking today at the scripture readings for the Mass on the first Sunday of Lent. Our church gives us a very appropriate starting point for the season, the story of Jesus beginning his Lent the forty days and nights he spends encountering temptation in the wilderness. Now, each of the three synoptic Gospels has an account of Jesus' experience in the desert. This year, we get Mark's. And don't blink. It goes by fast. Mark takes Jesus from the moment of his baptism with these words. At once the Spirit drove him out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for forty days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Sunday's Gospel goes on for two more short verses. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Pretty short, huh? Very much a guy sort of story. No unnecessary detail, no elaboration, no evocative scenes, nor beguiling words from Satan recorded here. Jesus went into the wilderness. Trouble presented itself. He came back and got to work. Enough said. For what Mark covers in two verses, Matthew needs 17, and Luke needs 13 verses. Mark gives us none of Jesus' dialogue with Satan, and no information about any of the specific temptations that Matthew and Luke relate. Some people argue that because the evangelists' versions of Jesus' ministry can differ significantly, Therefore, the Bible must be fiction. It's a good story, but not real. But when you understand the evolution of Scripture and the history of the early church, the truth of the Gospels becomes evident. Remember, these books are portraits drawn by an artist, not documentary photographs. The evangelists wrote each of their Gospels decades apart, in different locations and to different audiences. The intent and theme for each evangelist was different, addressing the needs of their particular audience. We should expect the accounts to be different. What actually stands out is that even though all these variables are present, the Gospels are amazingly consistent. There is divine guidance at work here. There are many particular scenes from Jesus' life that appear in multiple Gospels. This Sunday's Gospel is in all three synoptics, as I said. In such a case, reading each account offers a richer understanding of Jesus and his mission. Give it a try. Read the words of Matthew and Luke about Jesus' desert experience. Back to Mark's Gospel. After his baptism in the Jordan River, Mark writes of Jesus, 
At once the Spirit drove him out into the desert. Immediately, or at once, are words that Mark uses often. His Jesus moves fast from place to place, from mission to mission. If you don't have your Bible handy, feel free to go get it. I'll wait. But only if you hit pause. No, really, hit pause. Go get a Bible. Okay, now we want to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. You know how to make me wait while you find it. Got it? Okay. On coming out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And our gospel today begins with the very next verse, 12. At once the Spirit drove him out into the desert. Do you see it? The Spirit in the form of a dove that descended upon Jesus in his baptism is the same Spirit that compels him into the wilderness. A recurring theme in Mark's Gospel is what is often called spiritual warfare. There are several accounts of exorcisms found only in Mark. In this short account of the temptation, we see a couple of examples of this spiritual warfare occurring. Not only is Jesus led into the desert by the Holy Spirit, we read that Jesus will be tempted by an evil spirit and will be ministered to by angels. The opposing forces have gathered. Later in chapter 1, Mark writes about the cure of a demonic spirit. Confronting Beelzebul. I'd apologize for mispronouncing the name, but it's an evil spirit, so why should I? In later chapters, he recounts the healing of a garrisoned demoniac and the healing of a boy with a demon. Clearly, Mark wants us to understand that spiritual forces are real. Both good and evil are among them, and they are active in our world. Despite his brevity, Mark gives us one detail that the others don't. He has Jesus among wild beasts. Many theologians point to the contrast between the story of Adam in a garden living peacefully with all living creatures and all living things and Jesus in a desert among wild beasts. Adam succumbed to temptation. Sin and death entered the world. What had been the garden became a hostile environment. Sin and death are often depicted as desert or wilderness. This emphasizes that separation from God leaves us with few resources and much difficulty. Even the animals suffer. First in a garden, now beasts in a harsh environment. But Jesus comes to turn the whole story of the fall upside down. Entering the wilderness as a new Adam, Jesus too will be tempted. Where Adam failed, Jesus ushers in new life, restoring communion with God. So, 
All three synoptic Gospels give us an account of Jesus being tempted by Satan and for 40 days. Remember, the number 40 is a biblical code that always represents a period of trial and testing with a specific end point. But why would Jesus, fully divine, a distinct person of our triune God, need to be tested? Jesus, fully human, experienced the same emotions and frustrations that we experience. He faced the same temptations. Jesus submits to the trial because he knows we too face this kind of war for our spirit. Mark makes this very clear when he writes that the Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. We have to expect that our resolve to follow Jesus, to live the gospel, will be tested. But Jesus shows us how to recognize the tests, the temptations. Matthew and Luke give us a look at how Jesus successfully responds to temptations. Trust fully in God's word. It's right in front of us, in sacred scripture, and in the life of the word made flesh who dwelt among us. In the last verse of Sunday's Gospel, Mark writes, Repent and believe in the gospel. This can be accurately restated in more modern language as follows. Gospel means good news. Repent means literally turn around, change your mind, change your attitude, go in a different direction, look somewhere else for your happiness other than in worldly things. So we could restate it in more modern terms as Believe, really believe how endlessly, how unconditionally God loves you. And turn away from everything that is keeping you from full relationship with God. Turn away from that which dies or decays. Turn toward God. Lent is our opportunity to review our attitudes and actions, to compare them with the way that is modeled by Jesus. As I said, the word we translate as repent comes from the Greek metanoio, which means literally to change your mind, head in a different direction. Repentance is not merely a statement of regret. I'm sorry. It also implies moving in a new direction. It's more than stopping movement in the wrong direction. It's new movement in the right direction. But why do we need to be reminded of this every year? There's a one-word answer to that. Concupiscence. The word means disordered desire. Think of it as our inclination toward sin, toward choosing badly. We all have it. St. Paul wrote about it in his letter to the Romans. For I do not understand what I am doing. For I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. That's concupiscence. In the 6th century, St. Pope Gregory the Great wrote in a sermon, 
a temptation is brought to fulfillment in three stages. Suggestion, delight, and consent. And we, in temptation, that is, at the suggestion, generally fall through delight and then into consent. Consent is choosing with your will, consenting to act on a sinful suggestion, on a suggestion that leads to separation from God. That is when we take it into ourselves. We make it our own and actually commit a sin. The first reading on this first Sunday of Lent speaks of the Noahic covenant, that is, God's covenant with Noah. And it is as follows. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, See, I am now establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the tame animals, and all the wild animals that were with you, all that came out of the ark. I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all creatures be destroyed by the waters of a flood. There shall not be another flood to devastate the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature with you for all ages to come. I set my bow in the clouds to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and every living creature, every mortal being, so that the waters will never again become a flood to destroy every mortal being. What leads to this speech by God in the scripture? The forty days and nights of rain are over. Noah and his family are a renewal of God's creation. This Old Testament story points forward to Jesus' Paschal mystery, for which we are preparing now. Through it, he purifies us and renews our covenant with God. The second reading is from St. Peter's letter to the Romans, and is, if you will, the happy ending for all of those who lived before Jesus' earthly ministry, including those destroyed by the great flood. It reads as follows. For Christ also suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God, put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the Spirit. In it he also went to preach to the spirits in prison, who had once been disobedient while God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. This prefigured baptism, which saves you now, it is not a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. You know, in the Eastern Church, 
the representation in art, in paintings, of the risen Christ doesn't have just Jesus. It shows us Jesus surrounded by all of the people that this scripture just referred to. It shows us Jesus leading all souls out of their imprisonment. St. Peter is telling all of us past, present, and future of Jesus' mercy, his saving grace, and that it is available to each of us, no matter our sins, no matter our terrible choices, no matter our terrible actions, available to each of us. Now, show up at Mass, online or in person, and God bless you.